Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping up through some more stories about the future, including some new AR technology, a new brain scanning technology, and an article that synthesizes all we've learned from both of those into an AR system that scans your brain. I know, interesting, right? And, of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So I don't know how many of you have seen Ready Player One, but the idea of having one of those suits or a combination of different sensors that allow you to actually feel and practically interact with what's going on in a virtual reality world, or maybe even an AR object, if you have a glove that you pick up and you can kind of feel the weight of it or something like that, that sort of technology has always incensed me. But it also is a little bit scary, because if everything that we do in VR and AR has a tactile feel, then what distinguishes it from reality at that point? Maybe smell, maybe a certain amount of the uncanny valley steps in, So as we move forward to enabling us to better interact with these VR, AR worlds, do any of these revelations scare you? And maybe after some of these articles, you'll be inspired about what the future looks like, but maybe a little bit tentative and scared as to all these amazing technologies that we're starting to utilize when it comes to VR and AR. Throw your comments down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what everybody has to say. And if you have any crazy future predictions, I'd also love to hear what they are. All right, so let's jump to our first article. It comes from ReadWrite. The headline goes, These smart glasses could save your life. Now, that is a bold, bold claim. And at first, when I read it, I was like, what is going on here? And also, smart glasses? Are we talking like Google Lens here? With the giant computers on both sides, is it going to have a giant cube, and is it going to look all weird? No, these are a little bit sleeker. They are fat on the side. Think of like the Bose Altos, the ones that conduct the music through the bones in the side of your, or the temple of your head. They're about the same form factor, more or less. But these new glasses are AR, and they are meant specifically for one purpose motorcycle riding. And I know that probably a lot of my audience are not avid motorcycle riders, and I'm not trying to just put this technology out there because, oh, I I love motorcycles so much. I just think that this technology is extremely, extremely fascinating, and it can be extremely useful in other places as well. So as I go through and read some of the features and what's going on here, I'll give counterexamples or other examples of how this sort of technology could be used in the future. Quote, the BMW Monterey Connect Ride smart glasses are a game changer for motorcyclists. These sleek and stylish glasses feature a built-in heads-up display that projects critical information directly into the rider's field of view. By keeping this information in their line of sight, riders can stay focused on the road ahead, improving their situational awareness and reaction times. End quote. So this is the first little 
breakdown. It provides a heads-up display so that you don't necessarily have to look down at all your different gauges. Imagine in the future, if it had access to a set of camera arrays that you have on the side of your car or on the side of your motorcycle, and then you could look, glance just a little bit off to the side because it may have eye-tracking technology, and then it could pull up a picture of what your rear-view mirror would have looked like if it was still there on your car or you could literally just somehow with indicating with your eyebrows maybe you raise them twice or something I don't know maybe you just say it out loud hey can I see the back of the car it would give you a small image of what's going on behind your car so when you're in bumper to bumper traffic you don't have to look all the way back to on through the rear view mirror instead you can just look forward, see what's going on, make sure you're not hitting the car in front of you, and then getting feedback information about, is oh, is that guy a little bit too close? Should I ease on the brakes or can I slam because he's not going to be there? So imagine this technology moving forward. All this extra information can be very useful. It could be overwhelming as well, but that is why they have it in the periphery. That's why they have it on the side. It's not taking up your full view, but it is going to be at least easily accessible so that you can understand what's going on. And the reason this is really important on motorcycles is they're arguing, well, okay, one, for a slight second, any deviation is normally not good. Looking at your speed on the speedometer when you're driving, sometimes that can be a little dangerous when you're in sticky situations. Now, imagine doing that on a motorcycle and being completely exposed and open to what goes on around you, not being covered by any metal, not being a protected little cabin that's been tested by the company that gave you the car. So any small flaw that can happen there, it, it could be a lot more damaging and worse. And also, this is a interesting test because it comes from, like they are talking about here, BMW, a car slash motorcycle, basically an automotive or an engine company. This is interesting to see this technology really taking root here with practical purposes rather than something like Google Glass, which was kind of fun or it was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, you can see a little bit of extra information on the side. So that's why this technology isn't necessarily new. But the fact that it is finally becoming practicable and used or at least sold to consumers at a consumer price point around 650 euros or 750 dollars, this is, this is interesting and it's cool to see how these have some practical uses. And of course, I'll, I'll highlight one or two more. Imagine you're welding something and you don't want to necessarily look away because welding, of course, is pretty dangerous. And if you miss something and the sparks go flying and you're not wearing the right material, you could catch on fire. You need to be paying attention just in case anything does happen. But you want to check where the next solder or the next uh, weld needs to go. Now you could have a program uploaded or wirelessly connected to from a computer to your glasses that do a little scan of what's going on. They see the pipe and they have a schematic that you uploaded beforehand or someone else did for you so you don't have to use your own time. And then it highlights the next place that you need to weld. And it keeps it highlighted as you're welding. So while the sparks are going on, you can still see exactly what you're doing and just imagine things like this. These different situations where having an AR overlay, but 
that don't take up the entire real world situation, basically what AR is meant to do, but in a sleek, small form factor that's not going to be a giant headset that you can't practically wear when you're on the job. This side of technology is amazing. We've seen it before, but the fact that it is now being sold to customers means there's going to be more people willing to create different softwares, different analytic tools for it, because now no longer is it a developer special, like some of the meta features, where you have companies in the background building different apps for the people that have the Meta Quest Pro, I believe it's 2 now, that was really expensive, or the Apple Vision Quest Pro, which is really expensive. Those are for the special developers, the people who get a little bit of backdoor access. Now there's actually an open market for maybe there'll be a bootleg software. If people buy these AR glasses, maybe there'll be bootleg software out there because people are realizing, oh wow, we can actually use this for completely different purposes. It doesn't just have to be for the motorcyclist who wants to download the BMW app and connect it to their motorcycle. So Now that it's in the open market, there's actually a place for people to buy it. More companies are going to realize, hey, we have a market here. We could sell them a monthly subscription to our service that helps them ideally lift weights maybe. Maybe you could analyze your own weights real time, your form as you're in the gym. You look and you can have the display say, okay, move your arm a little bit to the right. Hey, slow down. Make sure that you're bringing it all the way down to your chest. And people who are in the gym already like to look in the mirror to make sure that their form's okay. Now imagine you have an even more precise and exact machine helping you out. Now some people may find that scary, but there is something nice about having that extra little guide and feeling there's also a feeling of satisfaction that comes from the fact that, hey, I just blasted out 10 reps and my form was on point. So there are lots of different amazing practical uses of this technology moving forward. But of this particular one, the one that BMW is releasing, I want to do a little bit of a rundown of some of the features. Quote, dashboard metrics. The heads of display presents essential information such as speed, gear position, navigation instructions. This information is seemingly integrated into the rider's field of view, allowing them to access it without taking their eyes off the road. Bluetooth connectivity, the smart glasses connect to the BMW Motorrad Connect app via Bluetooth, providing real-time updates and personalized data on the rider. Customizable display, riders can choose between minimalistic displays with simple arrow indicators or other detailed displays that include street names and distances to next turn. And then they're also compatible with the prescription lenses. Quote, The smart glasses come with an RX adapter, enabling riders who wear prescription lenses to enjoy the benefits of this innovative technology. And then battery life. This is a really important one because you're basically wearing a computer and a tiny projector on your face. So computer life is going to be pretty important. Or sorry, battery life is going to be pretty important. Quote, BMW Motorrad has optimized the battery life of the Connect Ride smart glasses, ensuring that the rider can enjoy up to 10 hours of continuous use before needing to recharge, end quote. And this is one of the things that's going to be a drastic limitation moving into the forward, because moving forward, remember when the first iPhone came out and, you know, I believe the amount of screen on time was somewhere around six hours. I could be off on that, but how long do we use our phones nowadays? If you get some of the best phones, their batteries can last you almost all day. That was not the case when the first phones came out. And as we've 
started having more and more of these technologies come out and we become ever more and more mobile, we've had to have more and more battery life. So that's going to be a restriction on a piece of mobile technology like this. And that is really going to be basically the same battle that they had with the iPhone. Do we add a whole bunch of extra battery and then make it weighty and inconvenient and make it boxy? Or do we keep it sleek and we find the right ratio of battery to refining the processor and making sure that it's more efficient in the way that it does things? This will be the battle of wearable technology for a long time, just like the Apple Watch 2, just like the the Galaxy Watch, just like the Pixel Buds, anything, any mobile technology is always a battle of refining the processing, making it more efficient with the battery that it has, and then also making the battery larger. So you'll see this exact same framework and exact same back and forth happening with the glasses. Maybe the next generation will be a little bit bulkier on the edges as they add some new features and then they'll slim it down again. We'll see how this goes forward. But I just think it's a very interesting technology that needs to be brought up. And also it helps put in context the different AR and VR revolutions that are happening around us that people may not be aware of unless you're in a special segment of the market that's like, oh yeah, I'm a motorcyclist and I really, really want these glasses. I can't wait for the future where you just have the glasses, you just put them on, they point to where you need to go, they give you the direction heads up wise so I don't have to keep looking at my phone if I'm driving or having it up on the dashboard and looking at my phone when I'm driving or you know if I'm just walking somewhere. Then again, getting lost is part of the fun. So I hope it wouldn't be too intrusive. And if you don't go the right way, it's like, wah, wah, wah. I hope that wouldn't happen. But just having those easy directions so you don't have to keep looking down at something. They're just right there. And then maybe you glance away from them and they don't show up. And then all you have to do is look up in the corner. Oh, and then it brings up a larger display of the directions. And then they go away. So you don't even have to think about them there for a little bit. I think that will be an interesting one, and I think that's probably the most useful and practical idea with these VR, AR glasses that I can think of right now, but you know, my imagination is very, very small. So let's jump to a second article that comes from neuroscience.news.com. Revolutionary brain imaging unmasks intricacies of memory formation. So we've been trying to crack the understanding of memory or how we create memories for a very, very long time. And, of course, there are a certain amount of limitations because we know to some degree that you form memories by having different neurons stimulated and they go to different places in the brain. And then when you remember something, the theory goes that, okay, you're you're using those exact same neural pathways again, so it brings forth, it elicits a certain memory. But because of the lack of really strong and powerful imaging or the detailed imaging that can capture a whole bunch of different neurons firing rather than just the few that we have right now, then it makes it really hard to get a full detailed picture of what's going on. And I don't think that this technology is going to solve all of our problems. There are probably even more high-spec, more important technologies to come, but this is a step in the right direction. And if they can get results from this small innovation in the imaging process, imagine how much more money they'll get from different venture capital firms or different grants because they see a practical use in this small amount of information. And then those companies will be like, well, hold on, if we can do this with half the information needed to understand something, what can we do with all the information needed to understand something like memory? Quote, a novel imaging system can capture activity from 10 to 20,000 neurons simultaneously, 
a remarkable feat compared to the few hundred that the current technology allows. This will enable researchers to trace the evolution of memory formation, shedding light on memory disorders such as Alzheimer's. The team hopes for their affordable technology to spur forth neuroscience research globally. So here are a few key facts that the article wants to highlight. Quote, the imaging system works by using a specially designed lens attached to a microscope that rapidly moves vertically and captures dozens of images per second of the brain's cortex. The research initially founded at MSU, or Michigan State University's neuroscience program, has now secured a three-year, $750,000 grant from the U.S. Air Force Office of Scientific Research. As part of the research process, mice were, are exposed to specific series of sensory stimuli to create memori- memory, allowing the system to track neural activity during the memory formation and recall process, end quote. So this is going to be very interesting going into the future because if we can have a better understanding of how we form memories, how we relate memories, how when you think of one thing, it suddenly opens up another neural pathway and you're thinking about something else. I would call them corollary memories is probably the best way to describe it. So if we can understand all of these processes, there's a good and a bad. The good is, one, we can make sure that we're treating people who have memory loss issues or we're treating just the general memory loss that comes with old age in a very particular targeted way. This could be revolutionary. Imagine that your grandmother or grandfather doesn't go through a senile senile period at the end where they lose some of their memories. Imagine they are wicked sharp. They are wicked on point until the day they pass away. Imagine they remember exactly who you are in the weeks leading up to their passing. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Now, I guess to some degree it could be sad because they're more fully aware of what's going on around them and they're not just drifting off peacefully. They are understanding what's happening. They have a connection. They look at the people around them and aren't saying, who are these people? They seem friendly. They're saying, oh, no, these are the people I love, and I'm leaving them behind. I understand. But as someone who has experienced the loss of a grandparent where they knew who you were sometimes and not the other times, it, it, does, it does hurt. You hold on to the memories where they say, I love you, blank, whatever your name is, because... There's something special about that towards the end. You know that they're breaking through the moments of pain that they're experiencing, and they they see you. They understand who you are. They understand why they love you, and it really resonates. So imagine this sort of technology being able to ease that burden towards the end of people's lives, being able to completely undermine or provide new therapeutics for people who deal with Alzheimer's, that has been a burden on a lot of families, and it has made it really hard to watch your family members go through this terrible process where they can't even remember who they are sometimes. They can't even remember why they're at the place they're at when it comes to special treatment, and they freak out and get angry or lash out at people. So understanding this is really, really leading to or going to lead to some good innovations that could materially benefit people's lives. Now that I went through that really sentimental and touching part, there's also the scary part, which is if we better understand how memories are formed, how good and bad memories are categorized, and eventually we can actually replicate the way that those different stimuli or how the stimuli create certain memories or create certain imprints on the brain, eventually we could fake it 
and actually create new neural pathways, especially if we're talking about VR. Imagine that the VR headset, you know, you just have a headset on. Well, in the future, if there's so much sensory input and people have a amazing understanding, they do studies of what kind of audio-visual, textual, sensory inputs actually create a longer-lasting, stronger memory that will stick with people when they're in that VR experience, then companies could use that, simulate that, and then it will, like I said, they'll stick with you a little bit longer. You'll leave the VR experience remembering what happened there and wanting to come back for a little bit more. So while having a better understanding of the human brain is amazing and it will most definitely lead to amazing innovations, there are, of course, people that will want to take advantage of that and will use it for terrible means. So just keep it in mind as we move forward. Every single technology has a good and bad side. It's just a technology. It's just a tool. And if we choose and push for it to be used in a good way rather than a harmful way, then it can end out great. Now, it's not, it is not even feasible to pretend that we can stop any tool from being used in a bad way. But if you're more aware of how that tool can be used and what's going on, then you'll be more prepared for when things go sideways or if they go in a way that you don't find appealing. So just keep it in mind. I think this is a great technology. I can see it being uh, improved even more. Imagine instead of being able to see 10,000 to 20,000 neurons simultaneously, imagine we have a full scan that's able to index every single neuron firing in the brain at the same time. That's a lot. Uh, imagine taking a video of me talking right now or even just you listening. Your brain is firing everywhere. So if we were able to have an imaging system that is able to capture everything, maybe this will also illuminate the understanding that we have of human existence. I mean, if some people claim that it is all just chemicals in the brain, well, in order to actually know whether that's true or not and be able to experiment and understand what's going on with those chemicals in the brain, we're going to have to be able to map everything. So maybe this will finally answer the final metaphysical question, even though we've been asking that one for a very long time. All right, so let's jump to an article that synthesizes both of these. It synthesizes the use of VR and AR while also having tools in place that allow it to understand what you're thinking or at least how your brain is interacting with the AR and VR simulation using different ways of measuring muscle tensure so that you can actually affect what happens in the AR VR world. This is kind of getting close to what I was talking about with that suit from Ready Player One where it takes in the sensory information that you give it and puts it into the virtual world. It's not quite the feedback yet where the virtual world really uh, puts it back to you or gives you back that sensory information. But this is just the first step. This one comes from CNET. I wore the future with a brain-connected AR-VR headset. Quote, the next frontier might be Neurotech. Open BCI's Gallia headset, along with the advances in assistive controls, points to a wild and wearable road ahead. A few weeks ago, I saw the best quality mixed reality headset with an interface controlled using my fingers and eyes, Apple's Vision Pro. But a few months before its announcement, I saw something perhaps even wilder. Clips on my ears, a crown of rubbery tip sensors nestled in my hair, and a face mask lowered over the front of my eyes. Suddenly, I was looking on my own brainwaves in VR and moving things around with my tiny movements of my facial muscles. I was test driving OpenBCI's Gallia. So 
this is uh, interesting what they're talking about here. They have a whole bunch of different sensors that directly connect that tell the computer that's operating the headset, hey, okay, it, these ear sensors, they're actually telling us whether he's stressed or not. Is he emitting a little bit extra sweat? Is he in a stressful situation? Do we need to tone things back? And then those little rubbery tips, those are actually giving access to the brain waves that the person is experiencing. They are directly touching the skull, and they're trying to sense, okay, this person is focusing on this, and maybe in the brain wave software that they use, they indicate different types of brain waves with different colors. And then they have the facial tracking muscles, the little shield that comes down over your face, and then you can actually control what's going on inside the VR or AR world based on even the most minuscule of movements. Imagine you twitch your nose just a little bit and something jumps. Or imagine it's even smaller than that. Imagine you smile just a little bit, even though smiling takes less muscles than frowning. Even that small change of muscles could make you do something special in the game. Now imagine if it's even more refined than that. You know how on the subconscious level, we do lots of micro-expressions. Little expressions that we don't even notice that we do, but can be perceptible to the outside world. Well, with these sort of sensors, our micro-expressions could be tracked and therefore indexed and tell the machine, oh, okay, hey, that was a little micro, that was a micro-expression of disgust. You know, that means, Alex, he does not like this type of content, so we should not give them this type of content in the future. So while giving all this extra information opens up the portal and allows us to do so many extra things and have a better understanding of our brain, imagine as he does here in this article, he sits down and meditates and just watches the brain waves and tries to really think and understand why certain brain waves are brain waves are connected to certain actions, thoughts, pro mental processes, and tries to hone in on them. Imagine gaining mental discipline and an understanding of your neurosynaptic system through sitting down and meditating with a VR headset that's constantly monitoring it. And then you see, okay, hey, green means calm. I want to focus on green. Or orange means overthinking. I want to get rid of orange. Or maybe you want to understand what overthinking is like. So you start overthinking. You get an orange wave, but then you notice blue comes in there, and blue is actually an indication of extra stress or something to that effect. So you can actually see what different, thinking about different things or thinking in different ways affects how your brain is handling information and how your body reacts. So having that basic understanding of yourself could be very, very important. But also with all this data does come the opportunity to be exploited. There was an article a long time ago that I was talking about the new metaverse or the new AR VR world where they could track your facial expressions and index everything, keep all that data, and then they have a good understanding of what you don't like, what you don't like. So imagine you go through Instagram and you see a picture of your friend who is just now getting married. Well, in reality, you may like that photo. Say, oh, good for you, blah, blah, blah. Good for you, Johnny Billy Bob. But then if you're in an AR headset or a VR headset scrolling through and it's able to track your facial expressions and it notices a small micro-expression of jealousy, 
then it may not show you some of that content anymore. It may change your algorithm. Even though you're outwardly saying you want to do something and you're giving them a like because it's a nice thing to do, your micro-expressions are saying, no, no, I don't want to deal with content like this anymore. I don't want to see my other friend's happiness while I'm sitting here not being happy. Imagine that it could have a better understanding of you than the face or fake version of you that you put out into the world. The part of you that's trying to conform to society, it only highlights the hedonistic part of you that is solely base emotions that doesn't conform to what the social norms are. I know that is a very crazy hypothetical and it seems really far out there, but this is what happens when you have technology that is solely based on the direct biological inputs that we give it because our biology is base. Our biology is not evolved. At the end of the day, our biology or... I say not evolved. Our biology does evolve from the animal kingdom, but it is not socialized. It is not above the fray. It is still, what's the word I would look for here? It is still susceptible. It is still vulnerable to the simplistic nature of the world, which is somebody else has something. I want something. Uh, I feel like something is done unfairly. I don't like that somebody else is getting something. I get a little bit angry because of that. I get jealous for what other people have. I have longings and yearnings for passions that may not be healthy for me. This is all biological, and there is no socializing mechanism for our biology yet. So maybe these VR, AR experiences that are only working with the sensory world, the physical world, and can only track what the biological world is telling it at this point may be a path downwards rather than a path to enlightenment like this author says because i'll tell you now giving into all of our biological urges does not always do us well i mean i've been on a few back and forth diets over the years and i've even done cheat days while i'm on my good diet now and while it feels great in the moment to be eating some of those unhealthy foods, I know that the next week is going to be a slog, that I'm going to have to be disciplined. I'm going to have to sit down and say, okay, no, you can't have that. No matter how much your stomach is yelling at you, you can't have that food. You told yourself that you'd have that cheat day and you got to keep yourself liable. So giving into our base instincts of biology sometimes are not always going to benefit us. And I think that this technology is great. It offers a lot of opportunities to have a more interactive experience, have a better understanding of how we interact with our brain or how we directly interface with our brain. But we'll see if it gets misused. I hope it doesn't. I think that there are lots of great people. And like I said before, it's a tool. If we use it the right way, it'll be great. But solely relying on technology that is meant to only interface with the biological could be a, a, a spiral that I don't necessarily see going our way, if I'm being honest. So we'll see how everything goes in the future. I just wanted to highlight this one because it brings together the first two articles. The better understanding of the neurons firing in our brain, better understanding of how our brain works, and then also the integration of VR and AR into that process. And they're, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Our brain is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we are very fortunate to have it. And we're also very fortunate to not understand it because it kind of makes it fun to have all these new discoveries and be exploring this world of neurology or neurotech. I find it interesting. I think we're growing up in an amazing time, or at least I'm growing up in an amazing time. And we're going to see so many innovations in the future. Who knows? 
you may not even have to go to work or zoom in on days where you feel a little bit apathetic. Your little sensor reads your brain. Oh, no, he's he's not feeling today. We're going to put up a 3D AI character that will basically do everything Alex could do. And then on your happy days, that's when you go into work and you bring a positive experience to work and your employer's like, oh, okay, it's a happy day. That's when we want you here on the bad days. Just send in your AI that can do practically everything for you and you know, they won't drag down the rest of us. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. I, you know, there's lots of different weird theories out there and I'd love to hear what y'all have to say, what y'all have theory wise about some of this stuff, throw it down in the comment section. But before we end the day, before I give the final speech, like I always do, let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from boing boing. If you need some eye bleach, Watch these Manchalese tree kangaroos munching on leaves. And, you know, when I first saw that, I was like, what do they mean by eye bleach? Eye bleach? They don't mean eye bleach in the bad way. They mean eye bleach to reset everything. Because, gosh darn it, these tree kangaroos are freaking adorable. Quote, watch these two videos of Paya and Kongwon blissfully munching away on the leaves. I definitely need these eye, brain, ear bleach after a deep dive into the cesspool of conspiratoriality that I'm doing lately. And if, you know, if I was in this author situation, it would be exactly the same. If you have a really tough day at the office or your kids have been yelling at you all day, then you could pull up this video. You could show it to your kids and just watch it yourself because they are just, you know, they're very light, fluffy, and you get to see them having a good time. And it was recorded at the Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island. They may have them on their website, so if you want to see them in person, maybe you could look at tickets there. But if you're okay with just seeing them online, then you can find the link to the articles in the description below. That includes this article and all the other articles from today. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle, at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday, less scripted, less pulling from articles and quotes and things like that. It's just a, a rant off the top of the head from things I've been thinking about, things I've been reading, so on and so forth. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die. <laughs>